You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. to that which is not seen. We look to the risen Christ. We've not seen the risen Christ, but yet we believe that he is risen and he sits on right hand of God the Father. We look to him and as we look to him and as we gaze upon his face, we're comforted because we have a unity and we have a oneness with him. And we're comforted because of his love for us that continues to flow out. And as we gaze upon his face and we look to him and we remember the sacrifice he did for us, the cares of the world and the things of the world Loosen their grip on us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. In today's message from Pastor Dave, he teaches that the more you look towards Jesus, the more the cares of this world diminish. If you're going through a season of hardship, turn your gaze to Jesus. Try not to focus on the obstacles. Instead, trust Him. He is with you through it all. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 4 as he begins his message, So Heavenly Minded, No Earthly Good. You are Turn with me to Acts 4. Today, we will finish Acts 4. We'll actually get finished with Acts 4. We are going to be in verses 32 through 37. So if you'll take a moment, open up your Bibles. Acts 4, verses 32 to 37, finishing up chapter 4. In Luke's letter to Theophilus, Luke's really cool, his second account to Theophilus because his first letter is known as the Gospel of Luke. That was also to Theophilus, his servant. So read silently, please, as I read aloud, beginning in verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles' feet. There's an old expression that states, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Clever, kind of catchy, isn't it? Some of you might have even been called that before. Some of you probably have heard that old saying before, but it's kind of unbiblical. There's a problem with that statement because in Paul's letter to the church of Colossae, he says this in verse two of chapter three, set your minds on things above and not on things of the earth. So contrary to popular opinion, being heavenly minded always inspires us to be more earthly good, not less earthly good. But Satan likes to keep our eyes focused on the things of the world and how important these things are. Have you ever noticed that? These things sometimes have a hold on us and they have a grip on us and they won't let go. 
And you know, instead of owning all these things, these things seem to own us. We're not in possession of these things. They seem to be in possession of us. We're pressured by the world to have this. We're pressured by the world to, to buy this, and your life will be better if you have this and if you buy this. And so we accumulate things in our lives, and it becomes stuff. But you never notice how it never seems to be enough? It never seems to be enough stuff. And then it becomes the old adage, well, he who dies with the most toy wins. Well, that's not real biblical either, because I've never seen a funeral truck dragging a U-Haul. You know, we leave it all here. It, it becomes meaningless. Our goal as Christians must be to set our minds on things above and faithfully serve the Lord. We shouldn't worry about those kind of things, we, what we have and what we don't have. When Jesus was talking to the multitude on the mount, he told them not to worry about life. He told them not to worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. And he uses birds of the air and lilies of the fields as an example of how God provides that which is needed in our lives. He says, don't worry these things. But he says, in verse 33 of Matthew 6, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. In other words, he says, seek the Lord with your whole being. Don't hold back in your seeking the Lord. Look to the Lord for your needs, and as you seek the Lord, as he fills your life, he will provide for you. You know, in the Old Testament, they called him Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. And he has provided everything we need, and the most important thing we have needed was a Savior. And he's provided that for us, his son, Jesus Christ, our savior. He will provide, God will provide, Jehovah Jireh. So we seek the Lord. So I guess the question of the day, I always have a question, is where is your focus today? Are you keeping your eyes on the Lord? Are you keeping your eyes fixed on those things which are external, those things that can't be seen? Can you fix your eyes on the risen Christ in the midst of a circumstance that you might be going through right now? You know, Paul said to the Corinthian church, don't lose heart when you're hard-pressed. He said, when you feel crushed or you feel perplexed, don't be in despair. When you're persecuted or you're struck down by the world, remember, you're not forsaken, nor are you destroyed. And then he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 4, 13 to 18, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you for all things for your sakes, the grace having spread through and many may cause thanksgiving to abound in the glory of the Lord, of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. They're temporary. But the things which are seen are not seen are eternal. And therein lies our hope in that which is not seen. And we look to that which is not seen. We look to the risen Christ. We've not seen the risen Christ, but yet we believe that he is risen and he sits on the right hand of God the Father. We look to him, and as we look to him and as we gaze upon his face, we're comforted because we have a unity and we have a oneness with him. And we're comforted because of his love for us that continues to flow out. And as we gaze upon his face and we look to him and we remember the sacrifice he did for us, the cares of the world and the things of the world loosen their grip on us. They loosen their grip on us, and then we were of the world and in the world, but the world doesn't have control of us. 
The world doesn't have us wrapped up tight. We're free, free in Christ. This is where we find the believers today in our text. This is where the believers are now in their quest for truth, in their quest for life. They focus their hearts and minds on Jesus Christ. They're not looking to the world for their needs. They're looking to the Lord. Their focus is now on the Lord. And once again, you find them filled with the Holy Spirit and they're together in unity. They have a oneness. Remember our word for oneness when we talked about fellowship in the Spirit? It was koinonia. Do you remember that? It's the Greek word for fellowship, koinonia. This oneness, this koinonia can only come by the Holy Spirit. Only when you're filled with the Holy Spirit do you have this oneness one to another, this koinonia that we've been talking about. These new believers are experiencing a oneness in Christ. It was wonderful, the Truth Project this week. We learned of the unio mystica, the oneness, the one that we have in Christ, this oneness we have together. We've learned about that. And it is interesting that these things we see the disciples doing are actually an answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. After Jesus prayed for his disciples, he then prays for the believers in John 17, verses 20 to 23. Jesus speaking, he says, I do not pray for these alone. In other words, I don't just pray for my disciples in front of me, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Jesus is praying now for us that they may all be one as you, Father, and me, and I in you, and that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved us. Christ is praying. We want this oneness to be seen by the world. We want this oneness that they have now with me, them in me, and us in you, Father. We're one. We're all one now through the unity of the Holy Spirit. Why do we have this unity? so that the world may know that God has sent his son, Jesus Christ. And the world would know that God the Father loved us just as he's loved his son, Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is praying for. Here we see the evidence of his prayer. The answer to his prayer right here were these these disciples. Now they're into multitudes. They're into over 5,000 of them. They are one. They have a oneness in Christ, unity. It's a beautiful picture when you see this. But I feel we need to go back a couple steps because when we began chapter four, we saw Peter and John, they were arrested for healing the lame man at the temple gate known beautiful. And even as they were being taken away and being arrested, in verse four of chapter four, we read this. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to 5,000. So the Lord began to add to the church as the disciples stood before the crowds and proclaimed the gospel message. The Lord was adding to the church. Remember on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. And now the number is up to 5,000. So the church is growing through the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, is doing a mighty work as the gospel message goes forth. And that's what the gospel message does to people. It draws them into the Lord. It draws them into the face of God. And when they say, they see songs like that, why would God, who are we, that us sinners, that God would even look at us? And when you come face to face with the Lord, that's what you're, you look at that and you go, wow, all your imperfections and all your wretchedness is shown widely before the God when you're in that light, in that beautiful spot of the Lord. Isaiah saw this in Isaiah 6. 
When he said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in a world of unclean lips, in a nation of unclean lips. When you're face to face with God, your uncleanliness just shows up, and you want to get rid of it. It's like, I can't, I can't be here. I can't be in his presence. And you know what? You can't. You can't. You need to be holy to be in the presence of God. You need to be holy in the presence of God, and you only become holy by accepting the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. You only become declared holy. Jesus even told them, you must be holy even as your Father in heaven is holy. You must be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Perfection, that's what he calls for. We might as well pack up our books and leave. We're not perfect. I know you might find it hard to believe, but I'm not perfect. I know it's difficult for somebody to go, you know, I'm not perfect. I got many, many flaws. Quiet. I have tons of flaws. I am not perfect. But when God looks at me, There's someone standing in front of me, and God sees me through the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees me as perfected. Not a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. A righteousness that is given to me, imputed to me, that is given to me by my belief, by my faith in Christ. And God looks at me, and he calls me his son. He calls me his son. Oh, how great he is. How great he is. As we continued in Acts 4, we saw Peter and John. They were placed before the Sanhedrin, and they were asked about this healing. Whose name did you heal in? Whose name, by what name did you do these things? Peter, by the boldness given to him again by the Holy Spirit, just like in Pentecost, stands up, and he says this beautiful passage in Acts 4.10. He said, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. Peter tells them exactly what they wanted to hear. Because if you healed someone in a name other than Jehovah, it was against their law. But he testifies of the resurrected Christ. He testifies of what we celebrated last week, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This becomes the central message of the gospel. Peter testifies of the risen Lord. Yes, he is dead, but he rose from the dead and he's alive today. He's alive today and Peter testifies that. And that's what made this man whole. We're just mere men. We had nothing to do with it. The healing took place because Jesus is alive. Death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't conquer him. He defeated it when God raised him from the dead. The Sanhedrin were baffled. They didn't know what to do. They were perplexed. They had no idea what to do. They were like, what do we do now? They they wanted to desperately do something to these poor guys. They wanted to do something because they were so angry at the resurrection that they couldn't even bring that up. But they couldn't deny the miracle because there standing beside him was the lame man who had been lame for 40 years. And he was standing beside him. And what was the crowd doing? They were praising God. They were praising God for his great work, his great miracle. They couldn't do anything. So what did they do? They threatened him. Don't teach in that name again. Don't teach in that name. And Peter spoke, but we can't help but to teach in that name. We can't help to do that. So immediately upon their release from prison, they run to the, back to the fellowship and they pray for boldness. They're sitting there praying for more boldness that they would continue to speak the word of God. In Acts 4.31, we see this, the answer to their prayer. They're praying, and the Lord says, okay, here it comes. And when they had prayed, the place they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What a confirmation. Can you imagine? They're praying, and there's an earthquake. Now, that's confirmation to prayer. That's confirmation to prayer. That only happens when you're in one in the Holy Spirit. You know, that, that, that's what a confirmation there. My goodness. 
And what did they do? Did they all get up and they go their own way? No, they spoke the word of God with boldness. There was an action there. We're going to get to that in a minute. There was an action to that. They prayed and then they acted as they were filled with the Holy Spirit and as they were led. I love it. What a model. What a model we have for it. Ask God, receive from God, and then go out and obey God. You ask God, you receive it, and then you go out and obey it. Christianity means it's an action word. There's an action to Christianity. In James 1, verse 22, he said, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. But then he continues and says, deceiving yourself. What does that mean? Deceiving yourself. Well, you're a hearer of the word. You hear it, you even study it. But you don't do what it says. You begin to get a false concept of yourself. Well, after all, you know, I study the Bible. I can even recite for you a couple of the uh, books of the Bible. I, I recite. I'm, I'm pretty good at the Bible. I'm a, I'm, I memorize this book and that book, and I know the Scriptures. Yeah, but are you doing it? Are you applying it to your life? Is there fruit in your life from all this reading that you've been doing and all this studying that you've been doing? Do the words of your mouth match the actions? Is there something going on there? Can people tell? That's what being a doer of the Word is. Are you doing it? See, if you're just a hearer, and not a doer, you deceive yourself because you think, I've got it made. I, I know what's going on here. You're deceiving yourself. You think you're in better shape than you really are. You're not acknowledging the truth. The truth is you need to do the word. You need to apply the word in your life. And as his faith goes into action, the Holy Spirit continues to pound on you his love and you continue to have faith and you continue to grow. It's cool because Paul said in Romans 2 verse 13, he said, we need to be doers of the word. He didn't say that. He says this, Not those that have the law are justified, but those that do the law. What he was saying to the Jewish people is, it's one thing to have the law. They thought they were righteous because they had the law. They thought that we have the law, we're righteous. God gave us the law. No, 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 no. It's obeying the law. It's doing the law. It's making the law real in your life. That's what Paul is saying here. We have the word of God. We have it right here in front of us. Are you doing the word of God? Are you doing the word of God? And then, of course, You know, we got to go to the Lord. We got to go to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? We need to be doers of the word. It's got to be practical application. There has to be obedience when we hear and when we read. These new believers, they had their focus on the Lord. Their focus was so on the Lord. They were filled again with the Holy Spirit. And because of this, there was unity. There was a oneness there. And we begin our study today in Acts 4.32. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. You know, when we studied the book of Philippians last year, we looked into this unity. And we said that this unity comes from a submissive mind. And we know that this submissive mind, as our example, is the mind of Christ. Christ had a submissive mind. Look at Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4. Paul speaking says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out for the interest of others. And then in verse 5, Paul gives us the answer on how to do this. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
And he says in Corinthians, you have the mind of Christ. Being born again in this new creature, this new creation with the Holy Spirit, we have that mindset. It's a submissive mindset. It's a submissive mindset, which means I am going to esteem you. I'm going to look out for my own interest, but I'm going to look out for your interest more. See how my priorities are now straight. I have God, I have others, and things. And I'm others-centered because I'm looking out for other well-being. If we all looked out for that, I mean, if you were looking out for me and I was looking out for you, just think of how easy it would be to get along. Christ is our example of the submissive mind. Christ was submitted to the Father. He was submitted even unto death, death on the cross. When we submit there, we're one. When we submit to God, we're one. When we submit to Christ, we're one. And when we submit to one another, and when we esteem others better than ourselves, and when we have others' interest in mind, the Holy Spirit continues to work and fill us. This is what we see in the book of Acts with these new believers. This was the reality of their lives. You look at their priorities, like I said, it was God, others, possessions, because the, re- the unity that they had, they regarded people more important than things. This is a God-given, spirit-filled unity. The Holy Spirit was mighty at work in their lives. The Holy Spirit was doing a job. This become evidenced by their actions of these. Look what the Holy Spirit did in their lives as he works through this crowd. First of all, they realized that anything they had was a gift of God. Anything they've been given was a gift of God. It says that in verse 32. Neither did anyone say that all the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. I don't have anything. Everything I have, God gave to me. I praise him for the paycheck I get because God gave me the job to have the paycheck. I praise him for everything I have, everything I own. It doesn't belong to me, it's his. He's given it to me. He's allowed me to use it. Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know that the things that have been freely given to us by God. We know these things have been freely given to us. We see a model here for a vibrant and healthy church, a model that we should look at. Having all things in common symbolize that they were becoming more spiritually minded and less earthly minded, less material minded. They were becoming more spiritually minded. Indeed, they were becoming more heavenly minded and less earthly minded. They were seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when they did this, God supplied. God added to their numbers. God added to their needs. God took care of their wants as he promised to do. You know, Jesus had this vision of oneness for his church. We read that in the John passage in John 17. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you have loved me. This is a mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's a mystery. We don't understand it. But by faith, we believe it. By faith, we accept it. But we're on divisions with the body. When there are divisions, that oneness is broken. And suffering happens. And we hurt. And Christ hurts. The church hurts. When we divide the body. So the first thing they did was they realized that their possessions were a gift of God. And secondly, this spirit-filled unity led to evangelism. It led to more evangelism. They magnified the name of the Lord and spoke of his resurrected body. You are Our time with you is running short for today's edition of A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave will continue this journey through the book of Acts when you join us next time. But for now, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. 
we'd encourage you to download these messages so they are available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always a time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. Those short breaks could be filled with the study of God's Word and the uncovering of treasures from its verses. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, gaining access to the latest messages as soon as they're posted. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. And we offer nursery and Sunday school where your children will be well cared for as they learn about the love of Jesus. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Thanks for listening to today's message from the book of Acts. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you'll discover Jesus working in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another in-depth look at this New Testament book right here on A Sure Hope.